This podcast discusses sensitive topics including depression, anxiety, and alcoholism. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone. Welcome to Epigraph, and Open Mic Podcast. My name is Jay. I am an octopus skeleton, and I'm here with Antonio Rodriguez, who will share his work. Antonio, take it away. Mirror, a self-portrait. This story, like many others, begins with a boy of no more than 10 years. Dark hair and big brown eyes, tanned from living on an island paradise. A family of five in a three-bedroom apartment was what he called home. They were poor, the boy and his family. And while he knew this, he never truly understood poverty. When he thought about it, he didn't see the homelessness that he saw in the news or the crime or rampant hunger that the news spoke about when they spoke about other boys like him. After all, mom and dad always had food for him at the table. He had a bed in a room under a roof that he enthusiastically shared with his older brother. There was a full bathroom with a tub where he soaked and played with his toys. His toys. He had toys. So how could he be poor? They weren't the newest or best, but they were his and his alone. He had an older sister that looked over him, although he didn't know at the time. And he had a mom and dad who, besides giving him food, never let him want for nothing. As he grew, his toys went away. So did the sleepless nights with his brother now that he was a grown-up. And his sister now looked over him from afar. Mom and dad weren't mom and dad anymore. He had to stop talking about them as if they were a one and only thing. The shared bedroom became his room, an occasional stopping point for the eldest one, the brother. His dogs were someone else's dogs, and warmth only came from the small box TV and original Xbox in the corner of the room. He thinks about being poor constantly now. As before, it wasn't what the news showed, but he was older now, and with age comes understanding. The toys that he couldn't have when he was younger or eating the same meal for weeks on end, the cheapest notebooks for school, and not partaking in the outings with his friends. He was poor, he knew, but now he understood. This newfound understanding was a heavy one. While not in the worst scenario imaginable, there were many things he was deprived of. Fun things that he could not afford, simple things. He now understood that the fights his parents had, and why he felt sorry when he asked for money. He understood his mom's frustration and his dad's silence. Many don't know this at my age, he thought. And he was right. Many didn't understand the value of one dollar. That single piece of green paper that was so easily wasted by others held a power over him like no other. A power that would slowly but surely condemn him. Many years later, an adult now himself, the boy looked in the mirror. He saw his dark hair and tan skin, but something was off. Where were his big brown eyes? They had shrunk, or sunken. Dark rings now appeared under his eyes, and he couldn't help but wonder what that, when that happened. A knock at his apartment door wakes him from his trance. The building administrator on the other side of the door lets him know that he is now three months late on his rent. He explains, for the nth time, that he's a college student with a part-time job and he doesn't have a cent to his name. But... Next week I get paid, I'll pay then. But how? Three months' rent was more than he made in one. This is what poor is, he said. 
and his eyes shrunk just a bit more. The phone rings. It's his girlfriend. He answers, lights a cigarette. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Sometimes, living with a mental illness. Life is hard. It's hard enough without all the extras. Money, food, work, school. It's especially hard when you live with a mental illness. Today I woke in a great mood, happy even, just to find myself circling the drain a few hours later. My very existence was a roller coaster heading ever downwards with no stop in sight. Finally, realizing that I had forgotten to take my medication, I leapt into action as if a few pills held the cure within them. It's been a while now, and there's no change. The lights in the room still seem, seem dim dimmer. The fog hasn't lifted. My life has no value, and tomorrow can't come any sooner. Sometimes I dread tomorrow. Anything can happen. It's a world full of mystery and wonder, and nothing is certain in it. Except I know what awaits me. Sadness, fear, uncertainty, anxiety, mood swings. I know that what awaits me is me. This damaged husk will wake and it will start over again. Maybe it won't be so bad. Just maybe the lights of the world won't be as dim as tonight. Perhaps I'll be better than today. Who knows? But I do know. I know because of that feeling in my stomach. That pit at my very core. Sometimes I know that tomorrow will be just as bad as today. And today I know that about tomorrow. So here I am. Writing my thoughts in the most public of spaces for strangers to see. I don't know if it's a good idea, but vomiting these words onto a blank page feels right. As my mind empties its baggage and opens its gates for the world to see, a sense of hope is born in the deepest crevice of it. I love you, it says quietly. It's okay. You're safe. I remember as I write that I do love myself and that it's all right to feel like this sometimes. I remember that sometimes life is just hard and that's okay. Today I woke feeling like I ruled the world. Maybe tomorrow I'll wake to find I do. It's tomorrow and I don't rule. I am ruled. I'm ruled by this guilty feeling of letting down others by trying to make myself better. I'm ruled by this pain in my body and by this anxiety and this overwhelming sadness. I'm ruled by the tears that refuse to be born into the world. Sometimes I wish I could make all of it disappear. Sometimes I wish I could open my eyes and be surrounded by the happy smiles of those who love me. But today no one loves me, or so it feels. Today feels lonely. I try to make the best out of it. Try to keep thinking about the beautiful world outside, my dogs, my loved ones. I try to keep busy with writing it all out, pushing all of it into existence, giving it a life with my words. And it helps. It helps me understand the mess in my head, and I see the unraveling of my thoughts, the bad ones, as they dissipate one by one. I guess it's not all bad after all, but I'm left to wander this empty space fearing what will feel it next. Again, here I am, still standing, still breathing deeply to soothe the qualms of my soul.
still walking towards another tomorrow, unable to stop, not wanting to stop. Because I know that there is a better tomorrow somewhere. I just have to keep looking for it. And sure enough, I'll find it. Or it will find me. So here I am, still standing and breathing and living. Sleeping with insomnia, not a sex story. Her name was Insomnia. I met her when I was 15 and she was otherworldly. She had energy to spare and once she focused on something, she would work at it until she finished. I learned a lot from her, like how to play video games better and how to read whole novels until daybreak. I learned how to focus my energy into more desirable things like schoolwork and research. And when she left each morning, a bright new day had begun. Sometimes she would hang out for days without end. And sometimes she would kiss me goodnight and I would fall into the deepest slumber. But even then, she lingered in the back of my mind. She perforated my dreams as if by an act of magic and never truly left me alone. Insomnia has always been there for me and still is. She was ever present, like God, but she was not quite quiet and still comforting. She was motivation incarnate, excitement, energy. She was a plural of actions in a universe of ideas. Insomnia was wakefulness amidst the mellow tone of the world. She forced me to be a powerful presence behind the man I would become. Life with her was not always good. I don't remember when or how for that matter, but coexisting began to be worrisome. We took a left turn somewhere down our active line, and coming back from it seemed nearly impossible. I would say that our troubles began once I started my first job when I was in college. I was 22 and spent most of my days at school and work. I barely had the energy for her. It was my fault, really. I'd abandoned her and went on to try and live life on my own. She would fight me every time we were together, and her screams pierced my head with such intensity that I would fold and spend time with her out of frustration. She knew, but it was all the same to her. As long as I was hers and hers alone, nothing else mattered. Not school, work, friends, or family. Thinking back, she always got what she wanted. And after everything was said and done, she was contempt just laying in bed with me awake. She would watch me and make sure that my eyes were fixed on hers. If I started to drift away, she would wake me with a quickness unknown to man. Sleep cannot have you, my love. Me and only me, she would say. And I believed her. Yours and only yours. We just celebrated our 15th anniversary this past year. It hasn't always been easy, but she is a loyal companion. As kids, she promised never to go away, and she made good on her promise. A woman of her word, I'll give her that. To this day, we just lay awake in bed, talking to each other. I share every aspect of my life with her, the good, the bad, the ugly. To this day, there's still no sign of her packing her bags and leaving me, though sometimes I wish she would. Not permanently, of course. That would be like ripping me to pieces. There are times, however, when I ask if she ever regretted staying with me instead of getting to know other people. But her answer's the same. There's no one else for me other than you and you alone. I should count myself lucky, I guess. Not everyone gets to sleep with insomnia. Forever and ever, it's only me and me alone.
the last glass, a date with a goddess. And for you, miss, the best Merlot you have. My late night had transformed itself into a fairy tale. When I walked into the vineyard, I never expected to see her there. I thought this was going to be another night I spent alone at a bar waiting for my date to show up. But there she was. Long black hair, brown eyes, dark skin. Her dress a combination of heaven and earth. And her smile. By God, her smile. I know it's cliched, but it lit up the entire room. I saw her and no one else. From that moment on, I knew that it must have been fate. She had a lipstick-stained glass at her side. She was early. She extended her hand to greet me without standing. Her legs crossed, right on top of the left. Revealed less than what anyone else would hope for, but just enough for your imagination to wonder. Her soft hands met mine, and I immediately apologized for my nervousness. I tripped over my own name several times, but she found it charming. I found it embarrassing. After finding the right words to pronounce my name, I asked what she was drinking. Merlot, she said, and I had not heard more bittersweet words than those. Ah, I said, followed by, I'm a Cabernet fan myself. That's because you've never had Merlot with me, she responded. My eyes brightened and my mouth did a half smile. Witty, aren't we? Let's have it at then. I ordered a glass of the same wine she was drinking. She was right. It was better than I remembered. As I gulped down the dry nectar of her choosing, I noticed her eyes again. I could have sworn they were brown. A hazel green now appeared, and her pupils seemed to see right through me. Her hair was now wavy as opposed to that straight river of darkness. I looked at my glass and thought it odd. I hadn't had more than half the glass. I quickly brushed it off as a mistake of my poor eyesight. After a few more glasses and learning about her at length, it was time to go. Already? But you just got here. Stay for one more, huh? She asked. Okay. One last glass and then I'm off. It's a bit of a drive for me. I answered. We spoke some more about our careers and hopes for the future. We spoke about the current social climate and the state of the world. In the midst of it all, it occurred to me that I shouldn't have had that last glass. My already weak eyesight could barely focus, my tongue heavy under the spell of the grapes, my body numb with the richness of the alcohol. Weren't her eyes hazel green, I thought. Why do they look red now? Aren't you going to ask, she said. I'm not supposed to tell you, but I like you. You're not like the other mortals. Mortals? Now I knew for sure that I was drunk. Her red eyes penetrating my every thought, following my every movement. This was it. This was the moment to ask for another date and then leave. Leave before making a fool out of myself. But it was far too late for that. I could no longer speak, or see, or walk, or stand. I recall the bartender calling a cab and asking for help moving me. I couldn't even say goodbye. Pity, I heard her say. I really did think you were different than the rest. The rest was unintelligible, but her voice still echoes in the back of my mind, as clear as day. And for you, miss, the best Merlot you have. Hey, everyone. I just got one quick question for Jay. Um, so why don't I get like uh, a short, nice nickname? Oh, you want just, a short, and, nice nickname? Uh, I mean, 
I mean, now everyone thinks that I go by Antonio Rodriguez. Antonio Rodriguez. Okay, what do you want? <laughs> and, and, and we can keep recording. I'm just, I'm just making fun of you because you know I'm sure that everyone else has a cute nickname, and I'm just Antonio Rodriguez. But that's cool. I don't know. I can, I can be not daddy. <laughs> we'll call you Tony, well, Tony Boy Zero One, everybody. <laughs> Tony Boy Zero One, aka Not Daddy. <laughs> Uh, mirror a self-portrait what inspired you to to write that i guess it's a good place i I mean i can kind of tell you know with a theme of poverty and it definitely i'm sorry i'm kind of lost in thought but it definitely does it, it makes you think really so what inspired you for it well i actually wrote this when i moved from new york to maryland about two years ago I think at the time I was still unemployed and so many others, you know, COVID dictate that took its toll. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to find an outlet at the time. I and I, I thought to myself, you know, I haven't written in a really long time. I really do enjoy writing. And I really actually enjoy writing the most about, believe it or not, <laughs> about love. Uh, I am a bit of a hopeless romantic. But this time I I said to myself, why not why not start writing about the experiences and and all the things that shaped you as a human being, the things that affected you when you were growing up and now still. And and at that time, I I was dating I was dating this woman. Um, she was a teacher, successful successful person in general, and I really couldn't afford to take us out on dates uh, as much as I wanted to or to places that I, I, I wanted us to go. And while she was completely okay with that, I, in some level, wasn't. So I'm like reliving the things that happened in my childhood, you know, things I want to do but can't afford to. And it's actually a theme that's repeated itself over and over in my life at, at, at some points, especially while dating. So I just got on my laptop, I started writing and Next thing I know, I'm writing about how poverty affected me or affects me. And this is what I came up with. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I remember uh, back then, I mean, it was it was really hard for a lot of people. But yeah, it, 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 it definitely it definitely shows that, like you said, like a repeating theme in your life. And then with that backstory of like, I can't imagine you know, going through that, you know, moving from New York to Maryland and just being faced with the same issue just over and over and over. And it's like, how do you how do you heal from something that is external to you? Like you can't budget your way out of poverty. That's just not how it works. Exactly. Exactly. It's not like the favorite the favorite line of every rich person you know you gotta what is it something about the bootstraps you carry yourself <laughs> pull by the yourself bootstraps up by something. the bootstraps yeah 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 you know well stop buying that coffee every week i'm like yeah it doesn't it doesn't work like that yeah you know so saving yeah, five do- yeah. saving five dollars a week isn't gonna ha- help me pay like a thousand dollars in rent that's not what tra- like, that is it, not what it's it is. not it's not and and for all of you that might be going through something similar i know that that we like if you like coffee i know that we like our quote-unquote high-end coffees and whatnot 7-eleven is not bad coffee and it's cheap as hell so 7-eleven if you want to sponsor the podcast by the way (laughs) yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. I, I, I get gas and coffee from you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I even, I even try to budget my coffee into the equation. Like, okay, so I can't afford this $5 some cents coffee. Well, let me try this one. That's like two fifteen dollars for a very large one. I'm so poor y'all. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, like, it's I'm sure that's a very common sentiment. I mean, the way that inflation is right now and how everything pretty much is and the the job market and just everything, just everything is mm-hmm. is kind of like designed to just if you're poor to keep you poor. And yeah. really, the the success stories of breaking out of poverty, like they exist, but they're so few and it's so incredibly difficult. And it shouldn't yeah. be. That's the thing. Uh, the majority of people aren't like. Like, if, for example, in, in the story you read, you weren't asking to, you know, have a golden pool or something. You were asked you you wanted just the bare minimum to be able to at least exist and not have to stress about it. That's correct. That's correct. It's like um, so many songs and in and, and, and Spanish specifically have that line, um, vivir para sobrevivir, you know, live to survive. Right. It's a translation. And that's what a lot of us, you know, down here in, in, in the poor class experience on a daily basis. That's a daily struggle. You've got to live to survive. Right. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I personally, I, I loved I loved listening to it. Very, very well written, really brings you into your thought process, your thinking. And so I wanted to to ask then, you mentioned that part of it was that you wanted to kind of express the, I guess, frustration and that you were experiencing, especially with facing the same the same situation. But you also mentioned this was your least favorite. Yes. So yes. can I ask why it's your least favorite? Um, because believe it or not, even though it's a a very much, very much a real world issue, not just for me, but for millions of others across the globe. To me, it in my head and how my brain works, it, it still sounds like I am complaining. There's this little voice in my head that's always been there. And it's always said to me, there's someone else who's worse off. You know, you should be thankful for the things you've got. You're more fortunate than so many others. And while it is not strictly just my voice saying that, you know, I can hear my parents' voice saying that. I can hear my neighbors and other family me- family members, friends saying stuff like that to me. It just sounds like I'm whining about not being able to, I don't know, go to a nice restaurant. But I can still afford other restaurants, but not the nice ones, you know? So that's why it's my least favorite because although I know it's not true, it still sounds like I'm whining and I don't like that. I I don't know if that makes sense to it, everybody, but... <laughs> it does. No, it definitely does. Because, uh, and you know, and I've, I faced something similar uh, and I think I mentioned it way, way back. But I, in my own journey through writing, I try to kind of deal with my mental health. And I remember uh, deciding one day being like, okay, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna write about my mental health, I'm gonna actually try to get better. And I remember trying to buy a book off of Amazon or something uh, that was going to help me with my mental health to help understand, you know, how to how to cope healthily. And I remember as I clicked purchase now, I remember hearing my parents' voice specifically saying, why do you need that? You know, you've never had to want for anything. Like, you weren't a starving child kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, right. yeah, but you know, that's the, also the bare minimum. And 
So I don't know if you're familiar with, I think it's called Maslow's uh, Hierarchy of Needs. Yeah. Yeah. And so having, you know, yes, you had a roof over your head. Yes, you had, you know, food and everything. But there are other needs that you need fulfilled. So, uh, you know, I personally, I don't think it's whining. Yes, there's always going to be somebody that's worse off, but they're not experiencing what you're experiencing and you're not experiencing their thing. It doesn't make your struggles any less valid just because somebody else has it worse. So. Correct. That is absolutely true for anyone listening. Like your feelings are valid, man. Like, like whatever it is you're going through, however it is you feel about it, they're your feelings and you have every single right to feel those feelings. They're not right or wrong. So they just are. They just are. Period. Period. Yeah. There's, you know, we all have, we all have to deal with life. We all deal with it differently. We all feel about it differently and it's okay. Sometimes living with a mental illness. I feel, I feel like you're writing, re like I feel very, very connected to it on, on more of a personal level, just because of, of mental health struggles that, I mean, you're, you're familiar with it. Like we've, we've known each other for a while. So, you know, mm -hmm. some of the stuff that I, that I go through and vent about, but it just, it's, it's kind of like bittersweet in a way where you're like, okay, so I'm, I don't, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in these thoughts, but also like, you don't want to wish it on somebody else either, you know? You don't want right. them to have to go through that. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. What inspired you to write uh, that one? Bit of background oh, on it. The background on this one is much more, I don't want to say simpler, but short than the last one. I quite literally was woke up to having a, a wonderful day and like a snap of your fingers it just turned and i just started going down going down and and it i can't even describe it it, it was one of the worst depressive episodes i've had to date so i i this was actually the first thing i wrote for this website i just started writing and writing and writing and writing and that's what came out it it's literally written from the perspective of a person, like it says in the story, is circling the drain. The person that is so depressed that, you know, feels so completely empty and alone and afraid, but still hangs on to the hope that there's a better tomorrow. And that's basically, that's basically me. I am forever optimistic that there is a better tomorrow for myself and for others and all we gotta keep doing is moving forward as hard as that may seem at times yeah yeah that's one of the things that you know i've i've also been uh just in general telling people because you know again it's 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 rough you know social media tends to feed off of negativity and so that's what they tend to promote so people are surrounded by more negativity and then it's only I feel like it's only now that people are starting to take some mental health actually seriously. And even mm -hmm. then, there's just so much we don't know. So obviously, you know, some treatments are good. Some treatments fail. We're still discovering new things. And it's it's one of those things where, like, sometimes you just have a really crap time. And it's not even just like the day. It can be the week, the, the year. The past five years can just be so absolute garbage. But yep. even through all that, you're like, but maybe tomorrow. Yeah, but maybe tomorrow. That's those those that right there. That's that's the, the, the key sentence. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. And sometimes you forget to say it to yourself. Yeah. And you forget 
you forget all about that there's a tomorrow. And sometimes someone else has to remind you of it. Yeah. And sometimes you go to sleep and you're like, oh, damn, right, right, right. This isn't forever. That's the thing. You know? Exactly. This isn't forever. Yeah. And that is something that I feel we forget a lot in just in general is this isn't forever. Things change. You know, time, time passes. If the earth ends tomorrow, time is still going to continue. Things are still going to happen. Everything is going to continue. And so this moment in time is should not define everything, you know? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I'm going to make a quick segue, but it connects. It always reminds me, this always reminds me of one of my favorite philosophers who said that at the base of all well-founded belief is belief that is unfounded. Meaning, meaning that I'll use the example that he himself uses, right? Mm-hmm. At the time, he used the example, well, you know, the... The sun is at the center of our solar system and the earth revolves around the sun. So that we know for a fact. So that being said, we also know for a fact that every night is followed by day. So the sun comes up every single day based on the fact that the sun is at the center and the earth revolves around the sun. However, however, while this is what experience has taught us, there might be a day where Know, something happens and the sun does not come out right yeah. however based on based on our experience of how the sun comes out every single day we can rest assured that tomorrow the sun will also come back up so that's how kind of like how i experience my 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 depressive episodes right i have this unfounded belief that tomorrow will be a better day yeah my experience, my experience says so, that tomorrow will be a better day. This won't last forever. This is just an episode uh, for however long it lasts, but it will always get better. I like that. I like that thinking. Yeah. Is there a reason why you chose, and I think you might have mentioned this, I'm sorry if it's repetitive, but is there a reason why you specifically chose this this type of writing? So it's not necessarily like poetry per se, it's more like prose, but why choose this? Precisely because what I used to write almost always was poetry. So I wanted to experiment with something other than poetry. More exactly, I wanted to experiment with prose and with short stories and short essays. I wanted also to be more direct in my writing, especially when writing about myself and my struggles and writing about mental illness. Sure, poetry is is beautiful. I love poetry. I, I spend hours just listening to spoken word poetry um, regarding mental illness and how, how people express it. And it's, it's just simply beautiful. But sometimes, sometimes it's difficult to, to understand poetry, to analyze it, to break it down. Sometimes it just causes more exhaustion than, yeah. than what it relieves, you know? Whereas, and I know that you can be a little direct with poetry. It just depends how you write it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But just Um, the the popular form, I I feel like, tends to be very, lots of um, allegory and metaphors. And sometimes it's a little much. It's like, just say what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And and things can get lost. Absolutely. Um, Whereas when you do prose, even if you use allegories and and metaphors and similes and all these things to make it look prettier um at the end of the day prose is a little a, a little simpler to untangle 
Yeah. And you also don't have all these sets of rules to write within what like when you do with poetry. So that's that's why I did it. It was easiest for me to express myself in prose. So for these topics at least at least. It's funny you mentioned the rules of poetry because so more recently when I write my own poetry as well, uh one of the things that I struggled with when I was younger is exactly that. Like what are the rules? What do I have to follow? What can I break and be okay mm-hmm. with breaking? And a lot of the poetry that I personally write can be read more as prose. It's, it's more meant to be performed because the only way that I kind of qualify it as poetry at all is just that I use line breaks for emphasis. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and that's exactly it. I, I went from writing poetry to I immediately switched over to prose because of that, because I was I didn't want to feel I felt that pressure and it, it wasn't anything specific, it was just myself pressuring myself to follow, like, I have to rhyme, I have to follow these pentameters, I have to follow all these things. Um, you know, the grammar has to be such and so. And now it's more, for me, a lot more freeform where, you know, I kind of combine what I love both, uh, best about prose versus what I like best about poetry. So, yeah, absolutely. I feel like prose is that kind of way to let yourself go. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I completely agree. Sleeping with insomnia, not a sex story. This is a perfect example of of how prose can be used in such a way. Like I said, like it's the the your writing, especially this this one, it just the imagery is so very vivid. I felt so drawn in, like I was living it every second. So uh yeah, it's <laughs> amazing. And I mean, the title is pretty self-explanatory, and so is a bit of the yeah. content that it, it's it's about insomnia. At the very end, you did mention that you know she hasn't gone away. So, do you still struggle with insomnia to this day? Then, oh, very much so. Of course, thanks thanks to therapy and medication, it's not such a a huge struggle as it was prior to therapy and medication. She shares custody now with sleep. <laughs> And and um, you know it's it's it, her custody is not as as big as it used to be either. It's not fun, um, which I am <laughs> extremely happy about. You know, especially this past month and a half, where you know I have a more active job. So I I really I really um, I don't want to say burn myself out because that's that's not the right tire word yourself. for it. I tire myself in in. In a good way. I go to work. I feel fulfilled. I feel tired because of the good work, or at least I think good work that I that I perform. And when I come home, I can relax, and within three four hours, I can go to bed and stay asleep. Um, sleep and stay asleep. You know. Yeah. But before that, it was it was sometimes I would go two three days without without really sleeping, uh, without hitting REM. Uh, just turning and tossing all night long or maybe closing my eyes for two, three hours. And that was it, you know? So I thought, well, make that into a story, (laughs) you know, like personify insomnia as, as a toxic person and, and describe your relationship with insomnia as a toxic relationship, a possessive one at that. That's what I I really like about that, because one of the things that I feel is very common for a lot of writers to do is that when they do talk about, you know, sleepless nights and insomnia, they don't talk about that as a person. They talk about it as a monster. 
you know, something, something unreal, something, you know, beyond comprehension. But in your writing, you wrote it as as a, a partner somebody that has been with you all your life and won't let you go <laughs> legit yeah um i i when I, when i was trying to write this i thought about it uh and do it as a monster you know and the only thing that stopped me from doing so is is i just thought you know it's just been done and redone and done again in poetry and prose and in every single form of art that there is out there, more likely than not, not just insomnia, any mental illness is is portrayed as a monster. Mm-hmm. It's por- they're portrayed as monsters, and I'm like, while I don't defer from the fact that I do think that that these illnesses at times feel like monsters, I went the other direction. I was like, well, insomnia, whether I like it or not, is part of me, and I'm a person through and through. Yeah. I'm a person through and through, and while I can be somewhat of a monster at a time, that doesn't define me, and my mental illness doesn't define me. That's and, that's what I like about that writing. There's and and that's honestly a very very new view for that that I've also started incorporating into like my own thoughts regarding mental illness is. You know, when you use monsters as uh, a symbol of, of what your mental illness is or what your, you know, whatever issue you're dealing with is, that's, uh, you know, monsters are usually seen as as evil. They're bad. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a mental illness is is an illness, yes. And, you know, ideally, you wouldn't want to have a mental illness. That would be, you know, ideal. But a lot of them are incurable. A lot of them you just have to. It's just lifelong. You're just... That's just who you who what's what you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. So rather than thinking of it as some sort of dark, monstrous thing, personifying it and making it into a person that has, you know, again, like flaws and all that. And an approach that Mm -hmm. I saw, I don't remember where I read this from, but an approach that I saw was, for example, when you're dealing with anxiety or when you're dealing with depression, instead of being angry, which just furthers those feelings, you sit with those feelings and you're like, well, what, what's going on? And you uh, and sometimes what I even do is I'll, I'll straight up talk to the feelings, you know, and be like, what what exactly is the matter? And it's almost like sitting and listening to your own self, to your own body. And I feel like yeah. that personification of insomnia is a really good way to to exercise that practice of personifying those type of feelings. I mean, at least for me, it, it, it opens a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And and instead of instead of going down the road of why are you like this? Right. I I I choose to instead of saying why are you like this is like, okay, how did you get here? How do you how did you get here? How how do you make it better? How do you cope? Um, And it just opens up a a whole a whole new world of understanding and, and, and questions and answers that while you might not like will eventually um will eventually just make you feel, if not just a little better. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really love that approach, honestly. Like, I'm, I'm just fascinated. And the, the way that you wrote it, like, again, I, f- I felt very drawn to it. I felt like I was there, like I was experiencing and living it. So that's just, it, it definitely, it's, it's stuck with me. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy you enjoyed it. The Last Glass, A Date with a Goddess. So I have to ask. Yeah. What was she? <laughs> Or is that part of the mystery? I mean, it 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 is part of the mystery, but undoubtedly, uh, she was a goddess. You know, that's why 
her hair color and her eyes keep kept changing. Gotcha. You know what I thought of? I thought she was going to be a succubus for some reason. No, <laughs> no, no. I did think about going that route. Okay, okay. I wasn't too far off then. But really, really, I thought, I, I just thought, well, what if, um, damn, I can't pronounce that god's name. Aphrodite? Uh, Di- Di- no, Dionysus. Di- well, yes, Aphrodite, but Di- Dionysus. Dion- Dionysus, I think. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it, Dionysus. <laughs> well, what if what if this was that god and Aphrodite come together, you know, just drinking just drinking wine amongst us mortals and, and just seeing who can go one on one with them, you know? And more than anything, this was just for fun. This was just literally for, for a contest and I thought thought, okay, I don't have to write anything super serious for this. Yeah, let's have fun. And yeah, I just had fun. I, I I like mythology a lot and I like religion a lot. So I was like, why don't I just do something with that? And this is how my baby was born. Oh, <laughs> do you plan on doing more of those? The answer is yes. I just I just need to get that motivation back. Well, the motivation is that people listening are going to expect it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wouldn't want to leave my fans wanting more. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, like, I've read, I've read some of the work when you post it on uh, on social media. I know I've read like a few excerpts here and there, but I I try not to read too much into it because I want opportunities like these where I actually get to listen to it and and have more. You know, I don't know how to even explain it. But I basically, I, I want to be able to really, really have the time and the mindset to be able to connect with it. And I I mean, it's clear that um, you definitely have excellent skill when it comes to writing. This was the last one, yes. What made you begin writing? Very first thing, if you can recall. Uh, my girlfriend, when we were, oh my God, how, how young was I? We were in, I want to say the fifth grade. You had a girlfriend in the fifth grade? <laughs> I had a girlfriend in every grade except for six. Oh, my God. Wait, are, are we talking first grade here, too? <laughs> yes. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> I, thought I, don't, I don't remember her last name. I don't remember her last name, but my first my first grade girlfriend okay. was Jennifer. Oh. I just don't remember her last name. I wouldn't say it even if I remember. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So how, how did she get you to write? She didn't get me to write. I just, I just wanted to do something nice for her. And, um, neither of us, we are, we are great friends to this day. Neither of us remember exactly what the poem said, but <laughs> what we do remember is um, she was a, she was a heavy set girl even then. And I compared her body oh, no. to a very succulent apple. <laughs> Um, that is very much both, a great um, of, <laughs> of of all the things you could compare it to a succulent uh, apple. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> all right, mm-hmm. we both still remember that. We both still laugh about it. That's great. We both still laugh lots about her mom's reaction when she read the book. Her mom read it. Um, yeah, her mom read it, and her mom was not happy that I was talking about her her daughter's body. Oh my god. <laughs> So yeah. 
Uh, that would that would have made me stop writing. <laughs> that would have been like, nope. Somebody read it, and a mother, of, the mother of the person I'm dating is reading. No, I'm good. No, but it sounds no. like you definitely. Um, I mean, clearly the skill shows itself. You know, you you clearly kept with it, and I I I would like to think that it's grown, <laughs> and you are no longer comparing <laughs> women's bodies to fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am not actively comparing (laughs) women's bodies to fruit, (laughs) but if I were, I'd be absolutely, I'd be more delicate and poetic than a succulent apple. Was it a Granny Smith or was it a Red Delicious? Dude, I was maybe (laughs) like 10, 11 years old. (laughs) It was the the, the apples they gave you at the lunch? It was just a red apple in my mind, okay? So... (laughs) And at the time, apples were my favorite fruit. Well, that's sweet at least. Well, yeah, I I hope. (laughs) I I mean, her mom did not think that way. My parents did. I gave it to my parents to read before I gave it to her. Oh, my God. That's a lot of trust. And they didn't see anything wrong with it. (laughs) It is. That's a lot of trust. I would not do that now. (laughs) But, um, um, yeah, that's how I got into writing. And then I just stuck with it. Um, You know, I was uh, a little bit of... uh, teacher spent in my Spanish and English classes, just learning the rules and how to write well. And yeah, I just, I just continued. All right. And so on that note of being a teacher's pet, uh, what advice would you have for somebody who wants to get started writing and wants to avoid comparing women's bodies to (laughs) to an apple? Okay, so first off, don't compare women's <laughs> bodies to apples, uh, <laughs> or at least not in the way that I did in the fifth grade. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get into writing, I guess um, I guess something that helps me a lot is thinking about my favorite authors and their writing style, and using a little bit of everyone until I find my own voice. I found. I was lucky enough to have found my own voice and my own style when I was in high school. But yeah, just remember that that whatever you're writing is is yours. It's your creation. It's your brain at work. It doesn't matter if it's good, if it's bad. Just just grab grab a pen, notebook, or whatever you want to write on, and just do it. Don't worry about rules. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about any of that. Just just write. And once you feel it's done, read it. And read it to yourself. Read it out loud. See how it sounds. And then, and only then, worry about the rest of the things. Worry then if it's coherent or not. Worry if there are plot holes. Worry if you misspelled a word or if that comma really doesn't go there. But your first time around, just enjoy it. Just Just let your brain run and... Type as fast as you can. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, that's I think that's an advice that I even don't follow very much, and I should because of that. Because I get worried about, oh my god, is this good? Oh my god, is this not good? And uh, no, you're right. You just just gotta sit down, just do it, just get it done. You know, mantra number one: finish, not perfect. Right, right. And you know, keep in mind, um, and I'll use myself as an example. I very, very rarely ever like what I write. Like, I can count maybe two things that I've written in the past 
that I really, really like. And everything else to me is just like, ew. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like it. I honest to God do not like it. Um, but then I give it to other people to read and they enjoy it. And I'm like, okay, all right. I might not like it, but I can find people who, who can enjoy it and have fun with it. And that's enough for me. Yeah. Out of the, the works that you read today, which one is your favorite? That's, that's tough. Um, we already know that the first one I wrote is my least favorite. Right. But I'm um I've been torn between the second one that I that I I I read sometimes sleeping with a mental illness and sleeping with insomnia, not a sex story. And that's mainly because I can I can identify with them every single day of my life still. And I think that both of them will make the reader understand not only me, but mental illness more. And that's really important to me at, at, at my stage in life. Like, I am so done with the stigma on mental illness. Like, I am, I am so over it. Um, and all I want to do is, when given the opportunity, is just tell people how it is for me, how it is for many others, that have to live with mental illness every single day of their lives until until they die and it's not it's not a necessarily a bad thing right it's just different like many other illnesses you know exactly like my favorite analogy not even an analogy my favorite thing to say to people is like well would you stigmatize someone with diabetes right i mean it's cliche that that's always like a comparison that is made but it's it, all the same, it's an illness which has no cure, and you just have to manage every single day of your life. Yeah. Um, it's the exact same thing. So that's why those two, I would say, are my favorite ones. You know, They both talk about my struggle with mental illness, and not just my struggle, but someone else's struggle. And I think, I hope that people who read it can gain a little bit more understanding of what it's like for people like us. Yeah, I think you do a very good job of like I said, like the the things you wrote draw were drawing me in, so I'm I'm sure that I won't be the only one <laughs> that feels that way. So uh, yeah, no, I think you did a very good job, especially with like the mental illnesses that that we that we deal with. Like they can be different. Even this, even people with the same mental illness handle it differently. Yeah. And the fact that the things you wrote are so relatable in that sense, just I think is is evidence of like first of all that nobody's alone in it in their experience. And second of all, that because nobody's alone in their experience, I mean, whether or not they were, but especially because we know for a fact there's there's a multitude of people that will likely feel the same, that it needs to be spoken about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think it's it's about time that mental mental illness is just backroom talk. Yeah. So you did mention a lot of writers that inspire you. Can you name, and I know you you have a ton, name like your top three. My top three writers, not all of them are, well, yeah, they all wrote for a living, but one of them is a philosopher, um, which is Aristotle. So I would say Aristotle, Edgar Allan Poe, and... No reference to Edgar Allan Poe in this podcast, just saying, absolutely not. It's not like that's our <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> literal bird. Um... <laughs> And oh yeah, I have to I have to include her in this because I only get three. I know I know you know this this person, Jay, but she is a she was a Puerto Rican poet 
who I've always admired and love reading over and over. And for some reason, her name escapes me If you me say now. Julia de Burgos. If that is I correct. I love Julia de, Julia de Burgos. Julia de Burgos. I don't know why her name was escaping me. But those are my, my top three. Um, Aristotle is on there. Not because I like his writing style. I absolutely loathe the way that he wrote. That's the inspiration. Um, but he, <laughs> he, that, the, the style that he uses is everything that I want to avoid. Hey, that's, if that's what works, honestly. And I had never thought of that before. But you know what? You mentioning that, I will be perfectly honest. And sorry to cut you off there. But I will be perfectly yeah. honest. I, so in high school. We had to read La Ciudad de las Bestias. And uh -huh. Isabel Allende, you know, we read a little bit of her background and everything. And everywhere uh -huh. I go, everyone's like so very much in love with her work. I hate uh -huh. it. I'm sorry. It, I'm just not a fan. And I remember when I started really, really getting into writing, my thought was exactly that was Isabel Allende is everything I don't want to be in a writer. I don't want to spend 13 pages talking about how green the trees are. Like, <laughs> that's not just, that's not what does it for me. So. Well, you're not alone in not liking her. I don't like her either. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I, like, I don't. I have no, no opinions about her as a person. It's her as a writer. I cannot, I just can't. And I've read multiple, like multiple books. Don't ask me to recall them because I don't remember. But I do remember the first book I read was Ciudad de la Bestia from her. And I remember it was almost like painful, like physically painful. I, I refused to read her books so much because I just couldn't handle her writing that my Spanish teacher would actually leave me in the room and force me to read it in class because she knew that I wasn't going to read it outside of class. I was like, I would rather fail this class than have to read another word. I, I just want to make a quick disclaimer. In no way, in no way am I discrediting these people's uh, accomplishments. Yeah, no, like, exactly. Them as people. Like, at all. Just, just saying, just saying that I would read anyone else. <laughs> Anybody but that. <laughs> but and, and that's the thing it's the fact that you've read them that you that you're like okay i know what i definitely don't want and i mean you know they're just yep. they're just not your cup of tea somebody else might like them yep. that's fine for them but yeah exactly yeah no but that's that's why he i mean other than he was brilliant mm -hmm. um his writing style is just like he'll start a thought and then mid thought he just goes on a tangent and then mid tangent he'll go on a second one and then a third and then suddenly you have three pages of tangents. And at the very last sentence of that third page, he concludes the very first sentence of three pages ago. And you're like, wait. You just lost track of everything. What happened? <laughs> like, what, what, what happened? So that's why I don't like him. Uh, his writing style. Edgar Allan Poe, I love him because he's so versatile um, with his poetry and, and his prose. Now him as a person, I know that I'm... <laughs> I'm not a fan of no, but his writing as a person, no. But his writing, I just loved the way that that he wrote, the way that he sucks you yes. into into the story. Yeah, I, I I love my favorite. My favorite is okay. My brain is going poof today. Um, the story where 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 uh. He hides a man under the floorboards. Um, the Telltale Heart. The Telltale oh, Heart. Oh, man. Yup. One of my top ones. Absolutely. It's my favorite um, Edgar Allan Poe story. Just like I said, the way he sucks you into anything that he writes is just amazing. And Julia de Burgos is just, you can, 
feel yes. her sorrow and her life story through her poetry. You can feel the love that she had for her, for her home country. You can feel the way that she she felt and fought against the injustices yes. of the time against women. You can feel and understand me, straight cis man. I could understand what it was like for that transition from a a young teenage girl into a young adult woman. And it, it's just, it. she makes you feel. She makes you feel everything that she's feeling and felt and and gives it a name and it's just amazing it's just, she is just freaking amazing there's a poem that she wrote that i remember absolutely falling in love with god i wish i could remember the name but i think it was um dedicated to the rio grande of luisa that's the, that's the name rio ah, grande there you go luisa. perfect see so in that poem i remember she goes on and and it gets very sexual but i remember when we were studying it i studied it in university and i studied it in high school as well and they uh part of the things that we had to analyze was why was it sexual and why was it revolutionary that it was sexual at her time because uh and for those that don't know Julia de Burgos is a very famous poet in uh from Puerto Rico at the time where it was you know very uh gender was very very much a binary you know women weren't allowed to mm -hmm. even wear pants out in public kind of thing mm -hmm. and so the fact that a woman a was writing at all and then b was writing sexual things was like whoa mm -hmm. and i remember just being blown away by it because to me the poem was like okay yeah like that's really nice imagery and everything but then the more i thought about it the more i was like no this is genuinely a revolutionary act especially in her time and then the when uh, at the end of the lesson i remember we were getting to how she passed away uh, I think it was like they found her in New York or something like that. And she she did have an alcohol problem and everything. And I I felt heartbroken. I was like, I can't imagine feeling like being discovered away from your home that you've dedicated so much of your life to and and passing away feeling that alone. So uh, something very important for our listeners yeah. to know about her and her work and what you were saying about it is that this is a woman that lived, that was born in the early 1900s and died in like 1953, 1954. She did most of her writings in her early 20s. So around uh, World War One and World War Two, And, and uh, speaking on that last part, Jay, she wrote her last poem, or so the story goes, she wrote her last poem called Dadme Mi Numero, Give Me My yes. Number, on, on a hospital wall in New York City. <gasps> I did not know that part. Yeah, on a hospital word, uh, wall in New York City, the story goes that she went in to get treated. Like you said, she was a known alcoholic. None of her love stories ended well, not right. a single one. And she went into this hospital to try and get help. Again, this is in 1950s in New York, uh, where there's a Puerto Rican. She's part of the first giant Puerto Rican migration to the States. Right. And there was a racial divide, a huge racial divide between the Americans and the <laughs> guys, putting it into historical context, right? We being the <laughs> And she was refused treatment. She was being refused. Uh, she was being refused treatment, and supposedly she grabbed a pen from a doctor's um, pocket and wrote 
Dadme mi numero. Give me my number on the wall. Basically, when an unknown person died at that time, it was a Jane Doe or, or a John Doe, and they couldn't contact family members. They couldn't identify who was who. Um, they would bury them in a nameless grave with only just a number. Yep. So she was she was literally just begging them, like, okay, so just kill me then. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for death. I'm begging for death. And they found her. They found her dead outside yeah. in a gutter. Cirrhosis did her in. And weeks later, her sister actually went to New York to find her. And she went to this hospital. And when she saw what was written on the wall, she immediately recognized the writing. And that's how Julia was found. Well, her body, yeah. her grave was found. It's a very sad story. Her life is a very sad story. But her writing, oh my God, it's such an injustice that it wasn't until after, many, many years after she died, that, that she was celebrated for her writing. Yeah, which is, I, and I'm not going to lie, that's actually one of the reasons why this podcast started is because she was recognized so much later, but her work was so revolutionary and it means so much it was. to so many people. And that's it was. that's the point of this podcast is really to to recognize those voices that are... Oh, for, for others, that, a little known fact actually about Julia de Burgos is she and Hemingway, I believe, were acquaintances. Oh, cool. I didn't know that part either. Awesome. I think it's Hemingway. Yeah, it was Hemingway. There you go. It was Hemingway. It was Hemingway. They they were quite they uh, they'm not saying they were friends. I'm not saying they knew each other. They were acquainted with each other's works. Of course, Hemingway being this big shot writer already at the time. Yeah. But um phenomenal woman. I think they met at a cafe or something uh, where she would she would write she would write poems on people's napkins in exchange for a cup of coffee oh my gosh yeah love her just mm. i, I w- I'm, I'm sorry i can i i can hijack this podcast and just talk about who <laughs> all day long i'm not gonna do that i'm sorry no i i just i'm i'm really glad that somebody else shares that love of who because like i one of the things that i had to write for, I was sending in an application for something and they asked me like, what are your like most inspiring writers? And, you know, I was just like, who would have got to be my top one? I was like, who was it that wrote it? Yes, that one. And all my favorite poetry that comes from Puerto Rico has all been written by Julia de Burgos. There are other ones I like, but my favorite ones, Julia de Burgos. But yeah, no, I think that is going to be it, at least for the questions. Uh, one final one is if people do want to read your work or follow up with what you're writing, where can they contact you? Well, I am now part of this amazing Discord community. Um, so feel free to, to send me a message. I have no problem sending you my work. Um, of course, I'm not going to charge you or anything. It'll just, hey, give me your email or something like that. Here you go. You can also visit... This website is called uh, Vocal Media, okay. and you can just search me on there, Antonio Rodriguez. Um, unfortunately, for now, all that you're going to see are the four stories that I, I read today. But if you ever want something else, I, I'm pretty sure I can go on my hard drive and pull up things I've, I've written that aren't on here. Send me a private message, and um, I'll be more than happy to share my work.
for uh, full disclosure for any listeners out there, Epigraph does have a Discord channel. It is um, available for anybody to join. So if you are interested in an invite to a Discord channel, you can always feel free to email epigraphcast at gmail.com for an invite. Or you can feel free to, if you already um, follow my social media, uh, either on LinkedIn or you follow the Epigraph Twitter account, you can feel free to request the invite link there. Should be posted shortly as well. All right. Well, it was a, a definitely a pleasure to have you on, Antonio. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Epigraph, an open mic podcast. This podcast was produced and hosted by Jay, which is myself, and it was edited by Celia, our sound gremlin. <laughs> If you would like to learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow us on Twitter at EpigraphCast, or you can also access our Discord and additional links by looking up our link site at epigraphcast.carrd.com. Thank you, and see you next time.